Welcome back to Let's Learn Something. I'm your host, Paul McTavish. As promised in our last episode, we take one more look at student voice today. In this episode, we look at a very special category of student voice, which is Indigenous student voice. And to help us explore this topic, I was blessed to get to speak with Charmaine LaRock and Amanda Nelson. In Prairie Spirit School Division, we are fortunate to have a number of positions called sector facilitators, and we are even more lucky to have one of those positions focused on Indigenous perspectives, partnerships, and outcomes. Both Charmaine and Amanda either have or are currently filling that position, which helps inform their perspectives on the successes, possibilities, and areas of growth concerning Indigenous education. Charmaine previously occupied this role and has since moved on to become the Vice Principal of Warman Community Middle School. Before that, she has also supported senior literacy in our division and has had experience teaching at Stobart Community School. Amanda is the current sector facilitator in the Indigenous Perspectives, Partnerships and Outcomes role and also teaches for a portion of her time at Stobart. Long story short, they have a wealth of knowledge and perspectives to share and I was grateful for the opportunity to get to spend some time with both of them. I'm glad you're joining us because I know you'll enjoy this conversation. So, Let's learn something about Indigenous student voice with Charmaine LaRock and Amanda Nelson. As I mentioned in the intro, we're super excited to have Amanda and Charmaine join us today. And uh, as as both of you ladies know, we've chatted a little bit before, um, we're going to explore student voice. And we've been exploring that in a bunch of different fa- uh, facets, I guess. But today we're going to talk about it um, as it relates to kind of Indigenous voice, which I think is a super important topic. So um, welcome to you both, first of all. Thank you for having us, Paul. Yes, thank you. No problem. So let's start with just something uh, pretty obvious. And I guess like when we talk about student voice, what is student voice? Or why is it, I guess, one, what is it? How do you see it? And two, why is it important? So what is student voice? It's, to me, as a teacher, it's listening to our students and not just what we expect, like the can answers. It's what they're really thinking and what they're really feeling. Student voice to me is, it grounds my pedagogy. Um, As a classroom teacher, I look to student voice to direct which direction I should go and what kind of activities I should integrate into my lessons and into their learning. So that's what student voice is to me. Excellent. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that because you said some really interesting stuff. But I'm going to go to Charmaine here. What would you say, um, student voice, what is it, why is it important? I mean, I'm right in line with Amanda. I think student voice is essential in um, classroom learning and a teacher's pedagogy. I think when we actually listen to students, they know a lot more than what um, traditional methods of assessment, um, instruction methods um, can tell us about the student. So I think student voice is about um, the whole child. We can't can't teach a whole child without hearing their voice. So Mm -hmm. it's grounded in our... Spirits assessment, triangulation of assessment, it's, it's so important. I know that as myself, I do better speaking um, about what I'm thinking, what I'm learning, and what I'm doing than I can writing it down. So, yeah. So, you guys, when you started teaching, uh, you were probably really good at the start. I was not. Uh, <laughs> so, when I started, it was very much like all I cared about was the content, all I cared about was how I delivered it, all I cared about was uh, that they regurgitated the answers that I expected from them from that content. And I started teaching science and math, so it was like the content was very explicitly defined, and so that's what I cared about. And as I got a little bit deeper into this, I realized like, oh, like this, is, this isn't really about me. <laughs> this is supposed to be about the kids and where they're at. 
but then because of the way I was teaching, I didn't have really good ways to um, understand like how to move them forward. And I just wonder about like when we when we think about student voice, because you guys talked about like it changes your pedagogy and changes how you how you um, instruct. Like when I say that, like you have to kind of change your stance or when you have to change your the way you think, like what is that? How would you connect to that or, or do you think that's right or where are we at? So to clarify, you yeah. want to know like what our aha moments was for when we like, oh, like we should shift our thinking. When you answer the question about why it's important, you talked a little bit about like uh, it shapes your pedagogy and like who you are as a teacher and stuff. So yeah, like I guess one, how did you come to that realization? And two, what did it change in you when you when you came to that realization? So for me, it really changed when I was teaching for the very first time uh, a grade 11 native studies class and of course I had the curriculum and what I should do and what I should be teaching but then with um, this class was very active and very vocal and just the way that they were engaging with me I'm like this is not working I need to stop and just take a moment and I took a risk that was pretty much the first thing that changed my view of teaching was taking that risk and just asking them straight out like what what can I do better to help you and to make you more engaged in what we're doing in class and that was really the first aha moment that I had with an older class and from there um, it definitely took a lot more than just that like it wasn't just a one-time one-and-done ask and oh everything's going to be fixed a lot of work went into that class and a lot of trial and error as well on my part. Um, so I would say that was my aha moment and how it really changed my perspective for teaching from then on, not just with that class, but with the other grades that I taught. Um, I taught multiple grades from grades seven to 12. So I had different personalities, different age levels, different um, knowledges and different kids coming in. So it wasn't definitely not a one-size-fits-all. You really need to speak to the kids in that classroom and find out who they are as learners and go from there. And of course, you can't do that without their input. You have to dig deep and find out what it is that really hooks these kids. Yeah, totally. So did you find that um, your relationship changed when your stance changed with your kiddos? Definitely. Um, I felt a shift because this was my first year teaching at Stobart. And this was my first time teaching that specific set of kids from that moment when they were like, oh, she's serious. She really wants to know what we actually think about her teaching. And then um, the conversations came easier. Questions were being asked and they were taking some risks too, like questions that explored areas that might seem a little controversial, um, but they felt safe to do that with me. And I thought, for me, that was definitely a huge moment, a huge win. Um, whereas weeks prior to that, when I first started teaching them, they would not do that. They were they were not comfortable with me as their teacher at that point. And when I opened that door and that invitation for them to not critique me, but to give me feedback as a teacher, that's when it was a little, that was definitely when it was more genuine. Yeah, yeah. awesome, Charmaine. What do you what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> Uh, it's hard to follow up from Amanda. She said everything I was thinking. I, she really did, <laughs> didn't she? <laughs> but awesome. I have to credit Charmaine because Charmaine was there with me for my uh, for my first few years of teaching here at Stobart. And 
she was really, she was my mentor. So a lot of these <laughs> issues that I was having, I went to her for advice and feedback and we did some strategy uh, brainstorming together. And it was with her input too and her guidance that really helped me transform that relationship in the classroom. You don't, yeah, you don't need to sell me. I'm better because I've had the chance to work with Charmaine too. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, you too. That's a that's all not true. <laughs> but thank you, Amanda. That's very kind of you to say. You had it all along. So one of the things when you, you made me think of uh, when did you come to that realization that student voice was important? I still specifically remember this. I had been working on my practices in my ELA, like teaching English language arts and uh, learning a lot about myself is that uh, what are the best practices in teaching English language arts? And I still specifically remember so I got to the point of my students sharing some of their thinking on a sticky notes, and that took a lot of time. They're just like, you want me to write down what? And I was like, what you're thinking, like right? your student voice in your head. And uh, I was the one getting smarter because I was the one reading their sticky notes. And so they weren't sharing any of these sticky notes with each other. And so slowly we, we started, they started sharing their sticky notes. And even that took a lot of time because they didn't trust themselves. They're just like, basically we have conditioned kids to, to tell us what they think we want to know. And so my kids, like, right, so breaking down those barriers of those, those conditions that they have been taught since they enter school um, and trusting their own thinking that they're smart enough and that they have answers and that we all get smarter when they share their thinking, which is student voice. I truly believe whether your, your thinking is right on paper or out loud, as long as I'm not telling you what to think, that is student voice. That kind of, and then this class, this specific class, um, we just started working on that and sharing our thinking with each other. And we all just got so much smarter and more brave and, and built a classroom community of smart thinkers and a brave student voice. And so that's kind of where that came from. And I think, how did this change myself and what did I have to do? Well, I had to make intentional um, teacher moves in my lesson plans then to make sure I was incorporating specific times where students could share their student their voice with each other and myself and learn and learn from each other from it. So once I started to see these realizations, then it Im impacted how I was planning my lessons. Totally. Yeah. You're making me think um, one of the first experiences I had with like trying to be like intentional about getting student voice was when I was in uh, Dalal comp and I had a bunch of grade sevens that I was teaching and they were throwing a lot of energy at me. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I came from a pretty traditional, like, I make the rules, like, my expectations are clear. Here's the poster on the wall type thing. That what, what, this is what Mr. McTavish says, yada, yada, yada. It wasn't going super well. Uh, and I, I didn't have a lot of skill back then. It's debatable whether I do now or not. But I didn't have a lot of skill with classroom management or just hadn't found my kind of, like, how I fit in that yet. And I got a really good piece of advice, and it was basically just, like, you have rules that they see now as like that's put you in a relationship where it's like like it's hierarchical, but like there can be there can be respectful hierarchical relationships, but it's like you're really like you're setting yourself up so that they're they're not gonna like respect you or like you because those are just your rules. And if you just basically you're gonna get to the same place where you're gonna get the same expectations and the same guidelines, but if you do it together, if you co-create it with them, those are now agreements. Yeah. And people mm -hmm. have to be held to their own agreements. And you're, you're like what you're actually like uh, allowing in your classroom hasn't necessarily changed, but it's like the way you interact with those people, because like you have created that together substantially changes the relationship. 
And so when I first heard that, I was like, well, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. It's going to be the same rules. Like, who cares, right? But then uh, they're like, no, you actually need to do it. So I actually did it and, like, made it. And it was, like, it was, like, like transformational might be too strong a word, but it's in that ballpark. It was, like, wow, this really changed how I interact with kids and how I, like, work with kids. And it, it mm-hmm. yeah, it changed the way I was, like, oh, this this could actually work. Like, this isn't as dumb as I thought. This is actually, like, genius. So, yeah, that's what you're making me think when you're talking about how your, your experience is there. And I guess the reason we're chatting with you guys, um, one, because you're brilliant, but two, you also occupy a role in our school division. Uh, and the title has changed a little bit, uh, but you both have or are occupying it, the idea of like, it's basically about like working with Indigenous students and helping them get better outcomes and helping our teachers to understand the factors at play and stuff like that. And so I wonder then about like, are there special considerations for student voice when we think about um, eliciting indigenous student voice because uh, there's some cultural and historical factors that have been in play for a while that I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Well, that's a really good question. You know, I, I wrote down some jot notes just of just thinking about that ahead of time. And the first thing that came to my mind is just the trust. I think there has been, there is a legacy of mistrust in our indigenous history, right up into like, including right now. Yeah. And if you're going to, if a teacher is going to be using student voice, particularly Indigenous student voice, I think there has to be a relationship, first of all, a trusting relationship, but also that if you're going to ask for student voice, make sure you follow through and um, don't just listen and then continue on. Like there has to be some follow through. There has to be action. There can't just be, well, let me hear your voice. Oh, but we're just going to continue doing on. So. I think that's a huge piece, and that's historically, right? Because there's been just so many examples. We could go on and on all day about the, the examples in our history of, of, of why there's some mistrust in relationships, but we're not going to go there. But I would say that's, that's foundational. That's a super special consideration that I would encourage all teachers to think about. And uh, you're making me think too, like, so, well, there's two things you're making me think. One, that idea of action or follow-through, like sometimes – we work on much different timeframes than our students do. Like I'm a much more accomplished educator now than I was when I started in 2003. And like that has been because of many of the experiences I've had, even to like my first class, like how I started with them. Well, my first class didn't experience that. <laughs> like, it has taken me like 15 years to get better. They're like, that guy was just, he was bad. Like, or he didn't know what he was doing. So it's like, that has shaped me, but it's over a much longer time frame. Whereas those kids, like they're, they're graduate, they have kids of their own now. Right. And so sometimes I think like, oh, we are moving on this, but they're like, I haven't seen anything. And you're like, well, yeah, you're right. So like, I think that idea of like actually having a visible action that they can see, even if maybe it's not fully formed yet, just so they can see it's like, you know what, we're doing something with this. Or even just saying like, hey, here's what you said here's what I'm going to try to do with it. I don't know if I can do it or not yet, but I totally get what you're saying. Like, I think that is pretty foundational or pretty important. So I I really appreciate that perspective. Mm -hmm. What about you, Amanda? What do you think for um, what's, what are special considerations when we think about like indigenous students? So pretty much echoing everything Charmaine said, (laughs) (laughs) but that relationship piece is huge and the trust that goes with it and um and know that it's it's ongoing it's it's a process like it's not just oh i'm just going to ask them about their day every day and everything's going to be peachy and they, that's not the way it works it's going to have 
ebbs and flows, it's going to be up and down, and you have to constantly work at developing that relationship. And knowing that trust can be easily broken. And if you do break the trust, you have to earn it back. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's basically just summarize what Charmaine has said. It's just that whole relationship piece. Yeah, and so when when I followed up on Shemaine's, I said there was two things, and I only gave one example. The second thing, which I also connect to what you're saying, though, is that it's like, so when you've got kiddos who aren't maybe, um, haven't had as good of experience, and their parents haven't had as good of experience, so there isn't that trust there, that work is more, it's more difficult. So for some kids, you'll 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 do the thing that I said is like, oh, we're gonna make these agreements together, and they'll willingly engage, and they'll be like, okay, here we go, and they'll give they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. Then there's other kids who are like, nah, I've been down this road. Like, why would I trust you? And they're not gonna engage off the start, and it is much more challenging. Yes. And I'm not saying that is just Indigenous students. Like there are there are students from all backgrounds who are like that, but mm-hmm. I do think culturally, uh, we <laughs> those of us who have been in power have not done a good job. Like, I mean, I think it's pretty well documented. We have not done a good job of like gaining the trust of indigenous students historically. And so there, there's going to be some of the, there's going to be harder work at the front end, I think. Um, and I I don't think that's, I think we just need to acknowledge that and understand it's like, this is something that I, it matters and I need to keep working at it and it won't necessarily be fun. But on the other side of this, this is going to have like pay dividends, like generationally, hopefully. Right. And I wonder about your guys' thoughts on that and just where we're at. And I guess that, I guess that's a broader question around like, how does, would something like this fit within like the truth and reconciliation's calls to action and like the path we're trying to walk in reconciliation and how this all fits together. So. Can I just add something just going back really quick to that? Yeah, absolutely. That thing. I, I just, I had it down, but I um, don't want to forget this. Another yeah. important consideration um, is just that if teachers, if we are as educators going to start gathering student voice, um, huge one, don't assume that all Indigenous students share the same experience. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just because you might have a First Nations child in your room doesn't mean they um, are traditionally going to powwows or dance, you know? Right. So like, mm-hmm. just be careful of like, so again, it goes back to like build that relationship with them first, get to know them as a person, and then you'll know how to um, navigate those that student voice and what you know what student voice you might anticipate getting from them. Don't set out what you want from them. Let them take that leap uh, of what they might share with you. So that's just I just wanted to put that in because that's huge because I think that's something that we sometimes um, people might assume that I can jig professionally because I'm Métis. Yeah. Yeah, you're making me think about, yeah, I I totally, like, I I have been that person, I think, where um, you're talking about a smudge or something, and then kind of, like, not necessarily call a kid out and basically, like, isn't that right? But just kind of, like, turn towards the students I know are Indigenous and kind of, like, see as, like, is this, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? And they're they're like, I don't, like, no, that's not part of, like, I get that, like, culturally that's a part, but that's not how I grew up, right? Yeah, So So just, like, yeah, honor their, their identity of who they are yeah um and don't yeah don't make that blanket assumption that all indigenous experiences are the same so yeah, yeah. yeah. and just to add on to what you said Charmaine um and just because you may have been taught something along like protocol or culture it may not be what that child was taught yeah it might not be the same so understanding like the whole like try to get rid of that pan-indigenous lens 
that all like Cree people do this the same, or all Métis people do this or believe that. You have to leave that at the door and accept what that child is bringing to you or not bringing to you. Um, something else that I want to add to for identity, Indigenous identity, especially important that we as educators don't look at a kid and bring our stereotypes affront. Um, so that could mean like kids that you that are Indigenous but may not look Indigenous. So try not to undermine them either with their identity. I say this because like personally that's happened to me and I've known many students and many family members and friends who have experienced that as well. And that really brings down a child's uh, confidence in themselves and in their identity. So try to leave any assumptions that you have about Indigenous people and what they look like or behave like or should know at the door and just be open and receptive to all kids that enter your room. Yeah, there's two things you make me think about. Like, it's almost like um, language in some sense where it's like, yeah, all French speakers speak French, but there's so many different dialects. Like, yeah. you're going to use, you're like, well, I learned this word on the app that I'm using, and then I try to use it, and you say it differently. It's like, well, you must be wrong. It's like, no, the app, <laughs> like, the app is like where you might get some information, but that's not culturally where that language lives right now, right? And I think right. that's that, that's the analogy I would draw there. Um, I guess the other question, just Amanda, as a follow-up then. So, like, I think there are, well-intentioned um, educators who are trying to include like indigenous content and then they might be like oh this is a way I can make a connection to that mm -hmm. student but just through not understanding the nuances of it um, they kind of mess it up so like just I wonder if you could give it an example or two of what you're like what that might look like for so that educators or teachers can under, kind of understand it's like oh yeah I have done that maybe that is a thing I need to pay a little bit more attention to like how does that show up when we when our misconceptions or our stereotypes or whatever, um, when we when we use those to like try to like make connections instead of like getting to know the kid first, like what what does that look like? So to me, it looks like the whole pan indigenous approach, right? Like okay. approaching any topic, like oh, dream catchers for example, like we're yeah. going to make dream catchers, but not diving in deeply to where did dream catchers originate? What did they actually mean? Why were they made? Which group or, or groups use them, make them, and like, and why are they so popular today? Right. So to me, it's it's um, I guess how to not do it the wrong way for lack yeah, of words. You're almost making me think. Yeah, like doing dream catchers does not honor all indigenous nations, right? Yeah. It's like it comes from a subset uh, and used for like a a specific purpose and it's not that's not like all uh if we were looking at like uh spiritual elements that doesn't cover the spiritual canon for all, yeah. <laughs> all nations right um okay so back to kind of um that that question i asked before just about like where does student voice sit in helping us move forward with reconciliation um just kind of that larger which it should be a super easy question, right? Just like, how do we how do we make reconciliation happen? I'm sure we can just bang that out in a couple minutes here. But uh, <laughs> he said, fishy. like, I get that's a really big topic. And I get that we're like, we're building this bridge as we're walking it kind of thing. Like this is some, there isn't necessarily a path to reconciliation. There is a path, but it's like, there isn't a playbook, I guess is what I'd say, right? We're right. figuring out as we go. So how does the idea of student voice or just the stance we need to have uh, in order to make student voice authentic, how does that kind of weave into where we're at with reconciliation or the work we're trying to do there? 
So my, my thought about this question, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, if we take out student and we just think of voice, how does voice fit into TRC yeah. calls mm -hmm. to action? I think that's, I mean, it's pretty simple. We can say like, that is the foundation of truth and reconciliation yeah. calls to action. Truth and reconciliation calls to action came about because there has been a lack of indigenous voice in all areas of Canada, whether it's federal, provincial, rural, and all levels of and all facets of our our society. So, I mean, voice is is the reason, right? That's that's the foundation. That's the building bricks of truth and reconciliation calls to action. So, obviously, like so, just a natural flow would be student voices is a part of that is just it is it's it's, it's a subset right yeah. yeah so and then i'm gonna let them manage so that's kind of my take on that question is just it's yeah. foundational it's that's where it comes from and then amanda um if you want to expand on the student voice piece that would be awesome sure shared a great piece with me earlier today so i had to think about this one quite a bit mm -hmm. so to me like student voice honors the action of rebuilding or reconciling relationships by starting new relationships with the younger generation in a, in a good way. Um, student voice is respecting what students think and feel instead of telling them what they should think and feel. And just like as Indigenous people felt that we should think and feel in certain ways for a very, very long time. Um, so it's also taking a step away from the damaging journalistic relationship that has historically impacted Indigenous Canadians to me, integrating student voice in our pedagogies is decolonizing pedagogy. So it's removing that notion that teachers are the sole authority in the classroom decision-making and the keepers of knowledge, so to speak. So when we think about the TRC calls to actions, it's essentially like the action is to share the power, to share the voices that are being heard and being represented in all facets of our society. And that includes education. You're making me think so like the connection I make there with what you just said, if I'm in a really traditional uh, teaching stance where I am the keeper of the keys, the master of the knowledge, all that kind of stuff, yeah. really hard to like, I, I might have, I might even have philosophically be like, yes, all voices matter. But if I'm teaching from that stance, it's hard to like demonstrate that when we go back to Charmaine's idea of like action, like follow through, like it's really hard to show that. When I move to the stance I need to like work within my pre-spirit classroom, that dovetails a lot more nicely, right? Like if we're thinking about if we're thinking about allowing student voice, like that the idea of like student talk is foundational to how kids even well, one, how they even like create knowledge, like the idea of like it being dialogic, the idea of like it having to be discussed in order to like understand the idea of student voice just connects very nicely to that, but it's, it's, it's kind of the stance you occupy as an educator then, isn't it? Yeah. So then I wonder about what are the, what's the, I mean, I guess the answer is like, they just have to be um, open to student voice, but it's like, what's the role <laughs> of the, what's the role of the teacher in that? Or like, what are the structures that teachers can maybe like get student voice from their kids or, are there like things where it's like if I'm if I'm a teacher and I'm just ex starting down this path, what are some ways? What are some what are some quick wins? Not and not to be like reductionist, not to basically be like student voice is easy. You just you just give them a form to fill in kind of thing, right? Like that's not what I'm suggesting. But it's like if I'm just dipping my toe in, do you have some ideas of where we might start with that? 
Oh, I just go back to what we were talking, like when I had shared earlier, just about um, my aha moment of student mm -hmm. voice. I honestly, if you just wanted to dip your toes in, you said to your class, hey, what are you guys thinking about this? They'd be like, what do you want me to say? Basically, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. so I think <laughs> yeah. if you're going to dip your toes in um, into gathering authentic student voice, um, deconstructing what they've already learned needs to happen first. Um, and so what, what do you I mean, mean by that? Like, so what I mean is just like, right, so we've, like I said before, we've conditioned students to say what we, what we, what they think we want them to say or what, yeah. right, right, the regurgitation of information. That's what we've conditioned students to do. And so you, in order to like, so you have to like break down those barriers and, and little by little. So I started, I remember sticky notes. I'm a sticky note queen. Uh, I use lots of sticky notes. So just even asking, so putting a sticky note on the desk, watching a short film and saying, what did you think? Just one, just one thing, start small. One thing, what did you think? Um, so that's right there, that's number one, right? So they're saying, oh, they actually used to write that down. And then share with one person, share with two people, or share with me first. So right, so that's always, that's a huge part too. So just, you're just only sharing with me. You're not sharing yeah. with the rest of your class. Um, and then you do that for a little bit, and then you work down a couple more things. What was the one thing you're wondering? So like, right, you work in those like little, Things slowly, it's a pro it's a process. It might take you all year to get to a place where mm -hmm. they're sharing student their thoughts and their voice with each other. But um, it's not an overnight fix. It's not a one week I tried it, didn't work. It is like a constant intentional um, scaffold of trust and skill, and then you go from there. But that's yeah, that's kind of what I would um, where I'd start. Yeah, you know what you're making me think though? Like one of the skill sets you need as a teacher to do that is just like honestly how you respond. Like when somebody says something, instead of even using the word like right, or it's like, hmm, yes, I agree. Like just even saying like, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. right? Like just like changing that from like, I am like affirming to what you're saying or I am the yeah. arbiter of whether this is right or wrong to basically being like, thank you for that contribution. Absolutely. Can anybody build on that? Like, mm -hmm. who agrees? Or it's like, who would maybe challenge that in a respectful way? Like, having yeah. some of those, like, moves to, like, move that conversation. Because that that's when I started, I was basically, like, if someone said something that was wrong, I'd be like, mm, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, any, can anybody answer? Uh, <laughs> Correct. Yeah can, yeah, can anybody help Jimmy out? Because he obviously doesn't get it, right? I was like, okay, well, that's, that's shutting down conversation. Uh, so, yeah. be like, so instead, I'd say things like, huh, interesting. I was like, where'd you, what are you thinking there? And it, the kid would usually say something where you could be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I totally get where you're coming from. Can anybody help Jimmy out though? And like, is there another way we might yeah. look at it, right? And just like, and then through that conversation, like, it's like, oh, I'm honoring the fact. And I'm like, I'm actively trying to like build you up for something that you said, right? It's like, yeah. even just like, thank you for that. Like, that was great. Like, even that is is something like, and I think that's one of our, it changes our role from being the person, yeah, like we talked about, like who knows everything to the person's like, I'm here to facilitate this conversation because you're going to learn through chatting with each other, right? And that's, Absolutely. That, that's a skill though. And it yeah. takes some time to do that. So it does. When we think about um, the school, so we've like, we kind of think about what our moves are as a, as a, as teachers, I guess, within our, within our classrooms, like what are, what are indications of like healthy schools that have student voice? And, and I guess specifically that, that honor indigenous, like ways of knowing and stuff like that. What are the, if I walked into a school, what would I, what would I see or hear? If you were to walk in a school that honors student voice, mm -hmm. 
I think what stands out to me when I walk into a school is definitely the first thing you feel or see or notice is how does that environment make you feel when you walk in. Yeah. Um, so a school that, to me, that honors student voice, I would be seeing lots of uh, pictures and I would see lots of, a lot of student work. And yeah. I would see a variety of it. Not everything that looks the same type of tree painting, for example. I would see in a variety of different representations. Um, to me, that, that shows me that, that our teacher, that teacher, let that kid do or carry out their vision instead of you have to replicate this. Mm-hmm. So to me, um, when I walk into a school that supports student voice, I see and feel that it's welcome that students, their personalities and who they are is very much reflected in the school environment. Yeah, awesome. Charmaine, what would you say? Amanda, great answer. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go back to, I'm just going to think back to the, the work that I had done um, for the past two years um, in Amanda's role with you know facilitating some uh, learning around Indigenous content and around our school division. And if so if the question, if I were to walk into a school that honors, I'm just going to add in Indigenous voice into there. Mm-hmm. I would see that, because that was one thing that we had, I talked to many schools about. If I walked into a school and it honored Indigenous voice, I'd probably see some sort of visual representation of Indigenous, um, of Treaty 6 people and, you know, the Métis people that make up our homelands. So I might be looking for a treaty flag. I might be looking for... Um, a treaty land acknowledgement. I might be looking for just some indication that tells me that this place, this building, honors Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if I see that, I know that I'm in a safe space. That my voice will be heard. My voice matters here. And it's just it's so simple, but it honestly means Indigenous people. I can't speak for all, but I know I look for it when I walk into a building. If if that representation is there, and then I know that my voice is safe here. Okay, so before we started this podcast, I said, I'm guarantee I'm going to say the stupidest thing. So, and this might be the moment I do it. But for me, uh, what you're talking about, that visual representation of like a land acknowledgement or a treaty flag uh, or the Métis Nation flag, that kind of stuff. I struggled to put that up, not because I didn't think it was important, because I didn't want to be tokenistic, because I didn't want to be like, oh, I'm putting this up just because we're supposed to. I wanted to be like, this is an authentic reflection of where we're at. And I didn't, um, yeah, I, I wanted it to like be infused in what we taught in our classrooms and infused in our curriculum and infused in the relationships that we had. And so I was worried, like, like I said, this is stupid, yeah. but I was worried that it was like, this will be seen as tokenistic mm-hmm. and it will, um, if, if an Indigenous student came in here, there's like, you're just putting this flag up and nothing's changed in our class. There's nothing mm-hmm. changed in the hall. Nothing's changed in our discipline policies, et cetera, et cetera. And I was hung up on that for a while. And I think it was through a conversation with you, Charmaine. It was like, well, okay, but if you don't put it up, like there's no visual signs that you care about it. So it's like you in the schools have been in, you would have to go talk to Paul to see what he thought. Wouldn't it be nicer if there was at least something on the wall that showed a little bit of that? You know what? So that's like and visitors to the school could know like, oh, I like my culture is respected here, right? Like we might we might not be a hundred percent there. We might not be like getting everything right, but it's like at least it's like a sign that yeah we're working towards that and i was like oh yeah i'm very comfortable with that i'm very comfortable putting up to represent that 
but I didn't want to put it up as a representation of like, we nail it. Like we got this right. And that was my hang up for a long time. And I guess the reason I share that is just cause like, it, it, it is so important. Like when we um, help host the, uh, the Prairie Rivers Reconciliation mm. Group, like the PD thing, and then uh, the, the learning day, I can't remember. It's, the name is escaping me right now what the day was, but Martinsville High helped host that uh, last year. And there was those elders who came in and saw that stuff on the wall. Like we had the land acknowledgement and we had the flags up and they were like touched by it and they were sharing that. And I was like, okay, yeah, this really matters. Like I, I didn't get it till then, but I was like, you know, this is super important. So I think that's a, just as somebody who's been on the other side of that, who worried whether we should or not, I would, yes, do it. It is, it is super important to do that kind of stuff. So. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. I think you spoke of, you touched on so many important points. Can it be tokenistic? Absolutely. I, like, I think that it is a big fear and can it be? Yes especially if there was no conversation around it. And I think that's the biggest piece, right? Mm-hmm. Will, and I, I'm a firm believer that we're never going to hundred percent get it right. We're never. Yeah. And, and if we, and if that is our hang up, then you're also never hundred percent going to ever going to do anything about it. Right. I'd rather people like schools and businesses, everyone in an individual be on their own journey at their own pace, but at least it's something is better than nothing. Um, and you would never put that up unless those conversations were happening. Um, yeah. Right. So I think it can't be tokenistic if conversations are happening and work is being done and there's right, there's movement forward and voices collected and it's right. It's been brought to your SEC. It's been brought to your students. It's been brought to your teachers. How is that tokenistic? You know, so like there's lots of things that, so I, I'm saying this because I like, I applaud you, Paul, because I remember that at Martinsville high school and that came up and it was, there had been lots of work that had been done that, yeah. those, you know, those leading up to that. So it was, it was huge and important. And, um, and I think that uh, you obviously evidently saw that um, in the end from hearing from elders and stuff. So, well, and our staff too was really committed to it. And I think that's, and it, and it wasn't, yeah. And I think it just needed to be, I needed to be comfortable yeah. to be able to say that it's like, what this is, is that we're saying this is important, not that we're there, but we are dedicated to working on this and yeah. we, and we, and we recognize that things, <laughs> the education system has not gone well for indigenous students for way too long. And we want to change that. And we yeah. want to like be on the path to make that better. And so that's what that, that's what that stuff there means. Yeah. doesn't mean, doesn't mean even mean we're an exemplar. doesn't mean it's like, yeah. we got this and everyone should come oh, here and yeah. learn. That's not yeah. what that means. It means yeah. like we're, we're trying. Yeah. So it's like a statement of commitment, right? Yeah. Um, when we talk about what is your commitment towards truth and reconciliation? Well, there it is. It means that we're on yeah. a journey and we're going forward. Yeah, totally. Um, we always talk about like, you should do this. It's going to be wonderful. Like here's all the benefits, but I always want to know like, what's the hard about this. So when we think about student voice and even as it affects indigenous student voice, like what's hard about this work um, that we would, that we try to do. What I see is, that fear of pushing your comfort zone, getting uncomfortable with it. Um, depending on what kind of person you are, it might be an easier transition. And then for some, it, it might be a struggle, but it's worth it. And understanding that it is supposed to be a struggle. It's not supposed to be 100% super easy because if it was, it wouldn't really be worth it, right? Yeah. Um, so understanding going into this, that you need to be vulnerable that you need to be okay with accepting whatever it is that comes back to you and then taking on that task, that challenge to taking whatever comes to you 
and transforming your teaching in the classroom a bit. So I would say that is probably the hardest thing about um, student voice. And it's never going to be the same. Just because it worked well with one group doesn't mean it's going to work the same with another group. And when I say this works, it's your strategies. Whatever it is that you're doing, yeah, you may have to tweak it. So understanding um, when you are trying to implement or integrate student voice into your pedagogy that uh, it requires you, the teacher, the learner, to definitely reflect and challenge yourself to push yourself outside your boundaries and be vulnerable. Yeah, you make me think like even I had that realize, I think we probably all did uh, when we went to supplemental learning and we were all online all the time. And it's like, I, th I thought I had really good relationships with these kids or the, like, for me, it was like with our staff. But then you're talking to your screen and you ask a question and no one replies and it's dead <laughs> silent. You're like, this is awful, right? And it's, so it's like, sometimes it's, sometimes it's like, well, I haven't done enough work to like build the relationship. Sometimes it's just the structure you're in, right? And you have right. to, and there's no quick path through that. There's just going to be some bumps and there's going to be some uncomfortableness and you're going to go home and be like, oh, that was terrible. But you'll, if you, if you reflect on it, you'll learn, you'll get better. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't give up. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, Charmaine, was there anything you wanted to add to that? Um, I think Amanda spoke so many about, so like touched on so many important points, that vulnerable piece. Um, mm, I think you need to yeah. model. If we, if I can quote Laurie Jasky, we can't not model. Yeah. Um, you have to model that thinking with your class and be authentic about it too. You can't just be, oh, I was thinking, you know, like yeah. let them see you, um, let them know you, let your students know who you are and what your thoughts are and um, how certain things that you read, feel, do make you feel. And it's hard for teachers because especially because that we don't do well with vulnerability and unpredictability. We like things to go, this is my lesson plan, this is how it's going to go, and this is how it's going to, right? And so if you're going to gather student voice, that's unpredictable because you can't, because you can't control what they're going to say. And so you have to be comfortable with that, but that puts us in a state of vulnerability. So, right, so it's just, but I think you have to trust the process and trust yourself that this is what is good practices look like. Um, in our schools and, and they align with my Prairie Spirit classroom and they align with, right, with what is important in our building and what's important for my students. So I just encourage teachers to take that risk. And even though it's hard, we're wired to do hard things, as Jody Carrington yeah. says. So I think um, to just go out there and do it. Yeah, you make me think like sometimes, and many people don't do this, but like when I first started, as I said, like I treated teaching as if it was like something that could be scripted out uh, and it just like followed the algorithm that I had laid out but it's a human system and it involves humans and human mm -hmm. systems are inherently messy there's emotions yeah. involved and there's there's good days and there's bad days and there's all that kind yeah. of stuff and if we if we treat it like it's not we're going to be disappointed over and over again when it Absolutely. doesn't work the way we want <laughs> but if I you're agree. like oh no this is messy <laughs> yeah. then we're going to be like okay I can do this and as you said we're wired to do hard things so yeah. mm -hmm. Well, that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, both Charmaine and Amanda. It has been great, and I really appreciate you uh, spending some time here with us today. So thank you both. Well, thank you, Paul, for having us. Yes, thank you for inviting us to this conversation. We appreciate no it. Worries. No worries. Okay, take care. And that's our show. I really want to thank Charmaine and Amanda for making this conversation happen and for all the work they have done and are doing to support Prairie Spirit teachers. It is greatly appreciated. 
We have more to come in the near future. Stay tuned to this podcast feed for more conversations with Prairie Spirit teachers. Until then, stay safe and take care.